Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening on. I have an amazing guest with me today. Her name is Dr. Linda Abujaber. Say hi to everyone, Linda. Hi, everybody, and thanks, Colin, for having me on your show. It's truly an honor. No, the honor is all mine. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, For those of you who do not know who Dr. Linda is, um, she is a holistic and integrative pediatrician. Uh, She's been practicing medicine for 31 years plus, and uh, her main mission is to make holistic wellness and natural medicine readily available to every family who seeks it. She's very, very well-learned and well-studied and, you know, wealth of knowledge, and uh, you're actually... uh, calling in from Jordan. Is that correct? Yes, I am. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm uh, very excited uh, for you to uh, be here. Um, so my first question is, is that um, I love the background and history of how a person gets from point A to point B. So if you don't mind, can you share how you got to be a pediatrician and then look um, and then look for other ways to really create um, that armatarian of tools that you've had from holistic integrative care to um, Reiki to acupuncture to it's just so much. So can you share with the audience how you uh, got here? Yes. I decided I wanted to be a pediatrician when I was five years old. It seems I was very sick and I kept on having ear infections and they decided they had to take, they had to take my tonsils and adenoids out. And the anesthesiologist was so nice. He was joking with me, and he said, I'll bet you can't count back from 10 to 1. I said, I'll bet you I can. (laughs) And by the count of 8, I don't remember anything after that. And then I remember waking up and thinking, I want to do that for other kids. I want to make things Uh easy. Because I remember being really, really scared until this wonderful doctor started joking with me and telling me it was going to be all right. And then um, when I was a little older, about three years later, my dad moved us to Jordan. And that was an interesting culture shock because I didn't know Arabic and I didn't know any of the culture. And my mom's American, but I still wanted to be a doctor. So we moved to Jordan when I was eight years old. And actually, um, I'd forgotten about this, but I had a whole bunch of little facial, flat facial warts on my face. And while uh, we were on the trip, we stopped in Egypt because there were no direct flights to Jordan at the time. And um, they took me to a doctor on me and it was not a pleasant experience. And that actually solidified Mm -hmm. my plan to be a gentle doctor so that kids wouldn't have to suffer the way I had to suffer from this guy's treatment. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we went to Jordan. I had to learn Arabic. I didn't know anything uh, in Arabic. I didn't know anything about the culture. It was actually like moving back in time to the 1950s. We didn't have, we, Mm -hmm. we got water once a week. We had, uh, 
we had indoor plumbing. There were cars and everything, but there was no TV. We didn't have, um, we had the kerosene heaters. It was quite amazing. But I never gave up my, my dream of wanting to be a pediatrician. And in, mm-hmm. in the meantime, I wanted to be a ballerina, and then I wanted to be uh, an astronaut. Um, mm. but I, so then I decided, and people would make fun of me, you know, how can you be a ballerina and astronaut? I said, I'm going to be a ballet <laughs> dancing astronaut doctor. <laughs> You're just going to dance in space. Right. So. As I doctor other people. Um, I was bullied in school, and that just actually set me even more dead set that I was going to teach kids how not to feel the way I felt when they were bullied. So a whole bunch of things went into my decision to be a doctor. And uh, now that I'm thinking back on it, influenced my uh, decision to become a holistic and integrative doctor. So um, I went to medical school in Jordan, and I was actually the first foreign graduate ever to be accepted at Emory to do uh, pediatrics. And... After my first year, they asked me to recommend some other kids from my uh, medical school to bring them in because we get very good training here. Um, Yeah, so then I went to Emory, finished my general pediatrics, and started my infectious diseases uh, training also at Emory. And at that time, I have to say, the idea of holistic medicine just wasn't in my mind. I just was going to be, you know, I was very evidence-based. There's a there's a, a pill for every uh, disease. And then... Pill for every for ill. For every ill. That's <laughs> it. A pill for every ill. I was trying to remember that. And then uh, the Gulf War happened, and I came back to Jordan, and I worked uh, with UNICEF for a year. And I coordinated uh, the food aid to the Iraqis, uh, the Iraqi mothers and children who were under yeah, the embargo. Yeah. And I ran some free clinics for the people in Jordan because they were also under embargo and kids started to, uh, we actually had started to have starvation in Jordan, which had never, ever happened before. And UNICEF was kind enough to give me uh, medications to give to these kids because after I went out into the desert and worked with the Bedouins, um, one mother did me the, uh, gave me the gift of saying, you know, doctor, I would love and go get this medicine, but I don't have the money and I, I don't have access to a pharmacy. So I went back to UNICEF and they gave me the medications. And um, while I was in Jordan, um, I uh, reconnected with uh, an, a really good friend of mine from medical school and we got married. I, I uh, had decided at that point to move over to the University of Pennsylvania to finish out my pediatric infectious diseases fellowship. So I brought him with me and he was a doctor too. And during my first year fellowship, I had my son. And that's actually mm. when I started my real pediatric training. They presented me with this beautiful son. I had a very complicated delivery. And thank God he was healthy. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I'm a board-certified pediatrician, but nobody has ever taught me how to take care of a healthy kid. You know, we learned how to do well baby checks and the, and the, and the basics, but nobody ever said, what, what do you do with a healthy kid at home for 24-7? You know, how do you talk to them? Yeah. How do you... Uh, 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 feed them properly? How do you get them to develop? Well, my son decided he, I don't know if my son decided from the get-go that he wasn't going to breastfeed, but he really didn't want to. And and, Mm -hmm. um, it was a struggle from the beginning. Uh, I had my son on the uh, Labor Day weekend and the La Leche League was not available. There was nobody to give me any support. And that actually mm. made me decide at that point that I was going to become an expert on breastfeeding so that no mother would feel like I felt. Because when I had to stop 
uh, and pop a bottle in my son's mouth because he was dehydrated, I felt like a failure. I thought there's got to be something mm. that, 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 that I could have done that would have made things better. Turns out I'm, I am one of those very rare people that doesn't make breast milk because my daughter was a fabulous nurser, but I never even made colostrum, and nobody can explain that to me. But be, because mm. of my experiences, um, I became, I didn't train in lactate and as a lactation consultant, but I read everything I could about yeah. it. And whenever a mom came in and said she was having struggles with breastfeeding, I'd say, okay, let's whip it out and you show me what's going on and I'm going to help you. And it was amazing. It was so, it was a gift to be able to give mothers th that gift because, you know, yeah. because breastfeeding is best. I mean, fed is best, but breastfeeding is uh, and nursing and, and breast milk is much better than uh, formula. But I have to say I'm very grateful for formula because my kids would have starved to death if we hadn't had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then my son, uh, unfortunately, uh, had a cow's milk allergy. And my son's now 27 years old. And you probably don't remember this because you're younger. But cow's milk allergy wasn't a thing. And everybody looked at me like mm. I was crazy. What do you mean your son has a cow's milk allergy? You're just imagining <laughs> it. And I said, well, every time I feed my son, he spits three quarters of it up. He's screaming all the time. He's unhappy all the time. What do you think it is? They said, you're just exhausted and you're exaggerating. And man, that just, mm. that, and I, I went to, and I was at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia at the time. I mean, it wasn't like I was in, oh, wow. yeah, I wasn't in some place where. It was the chop. I, it was the <laughs> chop. And I thought, if yeah. they don't have any answers, I'll find them myself. And so I started researching mm. uh, food allergies. I started using probiotics before. You know, in, in the olden days, 27 years ago, you couldn't even find probiotic pills. I had to find mm. esoteric places that, to order this stuff from and um, figure out how, because you, you can't obviously give tiny babies kefir and yogurt and, and uh, pickles. Oh, right? yeah, 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 definitely. You can't activity, uh, yeah. you know, you can't give or give, get any of that. No, yeah. so I had to figure out have, how to um, do it. Did, did they have um, soy milk at that time? Probably not, They right? did have soy milk, but I've always been hesitant to use soy milk because soy is a phytoestrogen. And yeah. I thought, you know, yeah. this is a boy, and I really don't want to be adding estrogen to his body. Uh -huh. So I, over, I overrode my gut instinct to change the formula based on my fear of soy, and mm -hmm. we just toughed it out. And then a few weeks later, my son developed colic. And for three months, he mm. screamed vigorously from 7 at night to 11 at night. No matter what I did, I had my husband try. I had my mother try. Nothing would calm this baby down. And again, I went to the doctors at CHOP. I said, you got to help me. They said, you're just exhausted. You're exaggerating. There's nothing wrong with him. Go home. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, this isn't working, so I'm going to find a way to do it. So... I figured out different ways to shush him. At the time, they didn't know that lactobacillus ruteri was good for um, uh, colic. So I did things like um, I used a little bit of chamomile tea. Um, I used a little bit of grape water. Honestly, I used the vacuum cleaner because that monotonous sound used to, <laughs> used to um, calm him down. You know, it would just shock him out of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Like that, it'll create. It's almost like a your own white noise yes. Um, background. Yes, but it's a really loud one, so that the child can only attend to one. You know, the the gate theory of pain is you can only pay attention to one really annoying sound at the at a time or one annoying uh, stimulus at a time. So the vacuum cleaner was his stimulus, and out back, I love my vacuum cleaner. And then my sister. Mm-hmm had a child who also had colic. And I said, you know what? Maybe you don't need to use a vacuum cleaner because she was in an apartment at the time, but we used the hairdryer. And I told her that about mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes before colic started to start the hairdryer. And she did. And she just run the hairdryer until colic time was over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because my son had all these issues, and obviously he was a poor sleeper because the poor thing was miserable, I actually be- was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And they patted on my back and they said, we're sorry, it's a psychosomatic disease, there's nothing we can do for you. And I thought, mm-hmm. really? My family keeps getting these diseases and diseases, I should say, that nobody can cure. I said, to heck with that, I'm going to find some solutions. So I actually went and got acupuncture. And it mm-hmm. really, really helped me. And I thought, well, if it helps me, I'm going to go ahead and get trained in it. And I went to UCLA and got trained in it. And I started using it on little kids for colic. I didn't tell people that I would do it. But after I did it on one or two moms, I I had droves of moms coming into the clinic and saying, our baby has colic. And because I didn't, you know, these weren't mothers that I had known from before. I didn't offer them acupuncture because, you know, people are always hesitant to stick needles in babies. But then they'd say, you know, we'd finish the visit. I'd give them all my other alternatives. They'd say, well, why don't you do acupuncture? And I did. It was really cool because I would do the acupuncture and then I would teach them the acupressure points and tell them how to utilize them at home. Plus, mm. I, um, I then became interested in, in, in energy work and in the mind-body conne- uh, connection because all within mm-hmm. this time period, my aunt was diagnosed with uh, stage uh, 3B ovarian cancer. And guess what? They told her there was nothing that could be done. And um, mm-hmm. I had just read a book, uh, Love, Medicine, and Miracles by uh, Bernie Siegel. He was an oncology surgeon. Mm. And he, had, he talked about how he used hypnosis and guided visualization to help his patients put the, uh, their cancers into remission. So I went to the University of Minnesota, got trained in clinical ac- uh, hypnosis for children, and came back and uh, taught my aunt how to do uh, self-hypnosis, because all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. And she actually got her ovarian cancer into remission, and it stayed in remission for years. That really, uh, uh, you know, between acupuncture, which is energy work, and hypnosis, which is mind-body mm-hmm. connection and energy work, I, I decided I needed to get some more training in energy work. And I actually became a shaman in the Peruvian mm. tradition. And um, mm-hmm. I've been blessed with being able to use these, these skills with uh, – uh, lots of parents and kids in my uh, practice who came to me frustrated and helpless because everybody said there was nothing that could be done to them. Or even worse, their kids were on five or six medications for their ADHD or for their, quote, anxiety or for depression. It's like, your kid's on five different medications. Would you like to get them off? And they would start to cry. And I'd say, well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. They'd say, no. We've, we've been looking for somebody to tell us what we can do besides drug our kid. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, and, and nutrition has always been a, a favorite topic of mine because watching my dad 
commune with tomatoes as he buys them, and then uh, really enjoy cooking and feeding everybody. Food was a was a mainstay in our in our house, and I always thought of food sure. as um, as medicine. In fact, as a kid, I was overweight. You know, I told you I was bullied, so I ate a lot. And I decided that I had a dysfunctional relationship to food when I was about 13. And I said, you know, I'm going to change the way I eat. And I have to say, I think I, I invented the Atkins diet or the keto diet because I did that, what looks like that now. And I lost 30 pounds mm-hmm. During, mm-hmm. during teenage. And, you know, none of this was known. So all these life experiences uh, led me towards not just do, looking for, quote, alternative medicine or holistic medicine, but because I wanted people to look at my children and me as a whole person, not just like as an asthmatic or as a person with diabetes or like when my husband was diagnosed with cancer, they looked at him as a case of cancer. They never looked at him as a whole human mm-hmm. being. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. And and after actually looking on the internet for resources and not finding any, I decided that I wanted to be part of the solution rather than part of the answer. I wanted parents to know that their children weren't just their asthma or their diabetes or their ADHD. They were a whole, they're they're a unique whole. And that the solution a lot of times is in their own hands. They just have to know where to look. And usually there's not one magic pill. I mean, I'd like to say if you eat this one food, it's going to fix the problem. But usually it's a whole bunch of small little steps that you can take that are additive over time that will actually bring back the health that's innate in all of us because we're all healthy on the inside. It's more about bringing uh, the health or actually for me, for me, it's preventing dis-ease. But when it Disease does happen. It's restoring the health that is innate in each and every one of us by removing the blocks to health. Yeah, yeah. I was about I was about to say it's really it's kind of um, it's kind of like you know here I'm in California and traffic and congestion is a very uh, it's you know synonymous with being in Los Angeles and uh, I would say blocks is kind of like. Uh, blocks are kind of like, you know, barricades on a highway, you know, and you're just kind of removing those to let the traffic flow. And, um, you know, I love the fact that, you know, you studied so many different, uh, various and diverse uh, modalities. Um, were any of those from your uh, experience, uh, similar to each other or do they, do they feel like they kind of differ in their own way? Uh, obviously, they're different practices. They're different practices, but, they, but all the holistic uh, practices that I know, uh, uh, they're, they're predicated on the idea that health is within all of us and is within all of our reach. It's just a matter of removing the blocks. So with acupuncture, mm. pain happens because energy is not moving properly. Um, Mm -hmm. and the, the energy could, uh, not be moving properly because of the diet, because of, uh, anxiety, because of anger, because of unresolved emotions, uh, because of lack of sleep, uh, Mm -hmm. homeopathy, uh, is actually, I think of it as acupuncture without needles. 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, nutrition, obviously, the gut is the is the source of our health or disease. And it's our second brain. I mean, 90% of the serotonin in our body comes from our gut. If our gut is unhealthy, mm-hmm. is it any wonder that our kids have depression and anxiety and are now suffering from all these chronic diseases you never used to see? When I, when I started training, Colin, you never used to see type 2 diabetes in kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, I saw one of the first cases of di- type 2 diabetes diagnosed in Wyoming and in Colorado. She was a five-year-old little girl. And all her numbers looked like she had type 2 diabetes. And the endocrinologist was saying, but five-year-olds don't get type 2 diabetes. But oh my yeah. God. And it was amazing because, you know, it's like, what the heck is going on? So, so right. I, again, became prevention is much more important than cure. Is it, yeah, 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 definitely. And that's why I actually wrote my book, The Super Dad Formula. So I could start dads and moms uh, from the get-go on good practices, not just for the physical health of the baby, but for the mental, emotional, and spiritual health of the baby and of themselves. Because children and babies yeah. don't live in a vacuum. Children and babies live in, in, in a physical environment. They live in, they live in a home environment. So their home environment is important, but also self-care is tremendously important, important for parents. Uh, an anxious, overwhelmed mom can't really raise a, a, a peaceful child because she doesn't have peace within herself and you can't give what you don't have. I, um, I, I, I want to make a couple of points. Um, so it's, I, I, going back to your, your variety of, uh, your tools, um, you know, like working as a, uh, DO or an osteopath, you know, we're very similar where, you know, we meld, you know, mind, body and spirit. We, you know, look at things from a holistic, you know, point of view. And that's how, you know, I found, um, when I went into medicine. So, um, you know, my mom is also a, a traditional Chinese med- medical doctor. She does herbalism, acupuncture, things like that. And she kind of, you know, she also raised me uh, similarly. And uh, that's how I found osteopathy. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, even though you've pursued um, all these different modalities, they do have this underlying uh, theme of you know, uh, going within yourself. And if you're, if yourself is not balanced, it creates, you know, dis-ease, you know, and, um, you know, it's very, very synonymous. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that, you know, you had taken your life experiences and then tried to find a solution when there wasn't one for yourself. And, um, you know, now you just became this, you know, one-stop shop for everything. Um, I love um, looking at your your story. Um, you say that raising our children, the next generation of people to take care of in our world is the single most important job any of us will ever have. I want you to kind of um, expound upon this um, if you can, because, you know, as we're looking ahead, um, you know, you know, in terms of healthcare, and when we're looking at uh, the implications of society, of the human population on planetary health, you know, there's a, you know, pretty much a direct correlation. And so, you know, what do you mean from your perspective? Um, and how does that um, apply, you know, towards our future generations? Children are gifts that we have for a specific period of time. If you ask my parents, it's 58 years. If you ask uh, some families, it's 18 years. But they're a gift that we get. And I think it's our responsibility to teach them how to be healthy, 
how to access the health within them because I think our healthcare system is broken right now. Uh, doctors mm-hmm. are overworked. Doctors are underappreciated. Doctors are having to work with uh, electronic medical records and not being able to make eye contact with, with, with the parents and the children. I believe that putting your hand on a patient, putting, when I put my hand on a child, I make a connection that no pill can make. I actually am making an energetic connection with that child, and I'm letting them know that I care. And that's something that I think is lacking right now because not because doctors don't care. I don't think anybody goes into medicine because they um, want to be rich or they want to be famous. We all, I think, go into medicine because we want to make a difference. And I believe that the small things that um, when I was teaching at the University uh, of Jordan a couple of years ago, I, I really put into these students' brains, I said, it's not... It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Here's how you examine a child. You know, here's how to touch the child. Here's how to make eye contact with the child. Here's how to make eye contact with the parents. Here's how to tell parents what they need to hear. You know, and I think that what I'd like for parents and for children is to only need doctors when things are, you know, when they've exhausted all possibilities that they can use at home. Because a doctor right now is not going to, unless you go to an integrative and holistic doctor, and thankfully there's becoming more and more of us, you're not going to mm-hmm. get uh, information about how to feed yourself. You're not going to get information about how important sleep is and how to get the sleep that you need. You're not going to get information about screen time. They might tell you you shouldn't put your kid on screens, but they're not going to have the time to tell you here are some tools you can use to decrease and limit the amount of screen time, and here's some activities you can use uh, in return. They might not tell you about the importance of free play for children. They might not tell you how important it is to go out in nature. And I think parents, I know parents want the best for their children and they want better for their children than they got for themselves. And I want to give them the tools that they need, the knowledge that they need to give their kids what, what the kids really need. My, my sense over the last 15, 20 years, is the kids that are coming into the world are a lot more spiritually conscious, they're developing faster, Mm. and they're smarter. They know more than the kids that were born 15, 20 years ago, from the get-go. Why do you, why, why is that? Honestly, I think that the whole consciousness, it doesn't look like it from the outside, but I think that there's an elevation of consciousness on the planet. You never used to hear people talking about mindset. 20 years ago, you never used to hear people mm-hmm. talking about paradigm shifts. You never, I could never have, I, I've had conversation, random conversations with people on the elevator about the law of attraction, about vibration, mm-hmm. about how important it is to keep a good attitude. And they have a d- much deeper understanding of it than um, I would, that I would have expected based on you know, where they're coming from or what their educational level is. Because all these things, I think, have become part of our our human uh, uh, conversation right now. One thing that I worry about, though, is with this elevation of consciousness, a lot of our kids now are spending too much time on screens and they're not spending Mm -hmm. enough time in nature dealing with their spiritual, energetic, emotional, and mental uh, um, well-being. And I think I honestly Mm -hmm. think that's why we have, did you know, according to the latest statistics, 2.6 million children in the United States suffer from anxiety? Yeah. You know, it's just looking at, you know, I I, I agree with you. There's a huge dichotomy with, 
uh, one where we're a little bit, we're a lot more aware. You know, my lifetime on the planet, it's not that long as yours, mm -hmm. but my, my thing is, is that, you know, I, it, me and my sister's generation, you know, she's six and a half years, you know, apart. We were born in the eighties and nineties and, uh, you know, our generation and, and, and later, you know, we are more connected because we have the uses of internet and social media. So we are more, in my opinion, more intellectually aware, mm -hmm. but I think there's a difference, but because we are so virtually connected, it actually takes away, you know, from that spiritual connection because we are so distracted from yes. not only ourselves, but also from what you said, you know, from nature and, you know, so from even just having a, a, a regular real conversation one-on-one. Making eye contact, touching a person on the hand. I mean, these things are, are being lost. Eye contact and making human contact are being lost. And I worry about that because... Children are being born much more spiritually, energetically, emotionally aware. And then parents erroneously thinking that screens are going to increase their intelligence or increase their whatever are putting them on screens and they're losing that connection. And I think that's, that's mm. something really dangerous. And I actually talk yeah. about that a lot in my book on treating anxiety naturally that I just finished. But I think that once parents are aware of not just the dangers of screens, but the importance of free play. Did you know that in a, um, in a, there was an economic summit in Davos, I think it was last year, uh, there was actually a subcommittee that was formed in order to bring back uh, recess and free play in schools. And, and the mm. reason was because research has shown that Free play is the only thing that's going to develop the skills that will make kids in the future not replaceable by uh, computers and artificial intelligence. Because free play grows uh, creativity. It teaches negotiation. It teaches how to lead. It teaches how to follow. It teaches how to communicate. It teaches, it teaches these soft skills that, that, that you don't really that are hard to yes, learn yes. and they actually have initiative to increase recess and playtime. And, and, and what parents think erroneously is if I get them in piano classes and on team sports and, um, you know, speaking 85 different languages that this will make them get ahead in life. And they're not realizing that things Silly things like playing with Legos or reading a book or making up stories or and Mike in uh, and when we were growing up we used to translate songs from English into Arabic. Those are the things that are are tremendously important that are being lost. Yeah, for me, I um, you know my parents, my especially my dad. You know he's very he's the very traditional you know Asian uh, Chinese father. Um, that, you know, they kind of want to create your child to be like a beefed up resume by the time they're out in the working force. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I learned, you know, the piano for like seven years. I was, you know, played the flute. Um, we had to take language classes. We were, you know, bilingual at the time and, um, or still bilingual, but I, it, my thing is, is that, over time, I started hearing, you know, a lot of news, you know, personally, I don't have kids, so I don't have the direct um, 
relationship with it, but you start hearing a lot of schools and school districts cutting out music and yes. cutting out recess and cutting out sports, even physical, uh, physical oh education. Yes. And I was appalled yes. because I thrived on, you know, I was running track, you know, in junior high, I was part of an intramural basketball team. Um, I thrived on all that stuff, you yes. know, um, I, uh, you know, just the neighborhood, you know, pickup games, you know, I thrived yes. on. So to think, um, to have less of that and to have more of the incorporation of technology, it, I think it does more harm than good. Yes. And that's why parents need to know about the importance of like exercise releases, dopamine and serotonin, which are, uh, the feel good and the focusing hormone. And it releases brain derived neurotropic factor, which makes kids feel good and calm and increases creativity. I think parents, when they know the importance of exercise, the importance of free play, the importance of exposure to nature, will be able to go to these schools and say, you can't do it. We're not going to let you. I mean, because after all, America is a free country and it's a, it, it's a democracy. Parents have the right and the wherewithal to go to the schools and say, you're not going to do this. But if they're under the impression that the more... Now, okay, if you, if you played the piano, Colin, and you really enjoyed it, that's free play. If you took mm -hmm. a language and you enjoyed learning it, that's free play. But I, I get mm. the sense that a lot of kids in my practice come in and they hate it. And I, that's not free play. That's just more torture and more stuff that they have to do. And they're not, they're not kids being kids. And I, I know parents love their kids and more than anything and anybody in the world. And they want the best for them. They just need to know what is the best for them. And it's not my place to tell them what's the best for their kids. But I, my place uh, as, a, as a holistic, integrated pediatrician, as a mom and as a human being, is to educate parents, this is what's really important for your kid. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't learn another language. I think learning languages is a wonderful thing. I speak four languages. Why do you think, um, why do you think this, uh, the kids nowadays, um, you know, are, are adverse to that? You know, do the parents cr uh, currently create an adverse uh, environment where, you know, these are just chores or things to do as opposed to, you know, go off and play, you know, with uh, Timmy or, you know, something like that. You know what I'm saying? I think what happens is because neighborhoods aren't as safe as they were before, we've, we, our community, we don't have communities anymore where, you know, when mm -hmm, I was a mm -hmm. kid, I couldn't go out in the neighborhood and do anything, but my parents knew what I was doing because everybody in the neighborhood watched all the kids. And if anybody stepped out of line, you know, the parents were told. Nowadays, yep. uh, it, it, the, the sense of community is lost. So a kid goes out and nobody might see this kid and observe the child. So I think there's a lot of fear with that. Parents are working just to make enough money to give their kids the, the designer jeans and the, the private schools and the, the, you know, the best um, laptops, not realizing that what their kids really need and want is time with them, attention. Mm. You know, nobody grew up and said, you know, I had a really happy childhood because I had a, a, a Maserati and the top of the line Rolex. They say, you know what? I never saw my dad. Or you know what? Mm. I never saw my mom. And parents don't realize that no computer, I don't care what 
anybody says. And if the computer people want to come after me, that's fine. But there is no computer that can ever take the, the role of a parent. There's no computer that can teach a child what the parent can teach them. There's no computer that can love the child. You know, parents need yeah. to know what their kids' love language is. You know, there's five love languages, according to Gary Chapman. Does, yeah. uh, parents need to know what their kids' love language is. I mean, some kids like to be told they're loved. Some kids like to be touched. Some kids like to have special time. Some kids like the act of service. Some kids like gifts. Yeah. I mean, parents need to spend time with their kids getting to know them. You know, pick up games. I, I, right? I, I I love how you, yeah, no, definitely. I love how you were able to apply that for, for kids as well. So, I mean, like love, in my opinion, I'm sure you agree with this too, is that it's a universal language and it comes in all kinds of forms. And I love the fact that, you know, what you're stating, what you're saying is that, you know, we're just going, we just need to go back to basics. It's it's actually not as complicated as, you know, what, yeah, exactly. So I think we just, We, we just need to be reminded of that. And I think over time, um, you know, we just kind of forgot. Yes, because all parents love their kids. But if they're not around their kid to let... The question I have is, you love your child, but does your child know that how much you love them? Does your child know that you're, spend, that you're working 80-hour weeks because you love them? Or do they think in their mind that you're just out working because you don't care about them? And this can't be taught right. through a computer. This is through special time. And, you know, parents think they've got to spend hours and hours with their kids. For a two-year-old, five minutes is like a lifetime. Spend two, you yeah. know, five minutes with your two-year-old. For a school-aged kid, what, half an hour is like a lifetime. They don't want to spend all that much. They don't want to spend all day, every day with you. <laughs> you know, but they want the time that you spend together. To yeah, get they want the attention. Yes. They yeah. don't want you on your cell phone or talking on the phone because you're there physically, but you're not there mentally with them. I think that those are the, the things that parents need to be aware of because I think, honestly, those are the basis of solutions physically for health, a lot of the health problems yeah. that kids are having, but also the, the, the problems of the world. When people start spending time with each other and seeing each other as brothers and sisters, no matter what their skin color or language they speak, nobody's going to kill anybody else. Nobody's going to yeah, no, hurt. I totally agree. Right? Nobody's going to bully somebody else. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. I um so taking all your tools, um, you know, and and having that span of of you know that the many patients you've seen, um, and also the mothers that come with them or fathers, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure we talked about this as well. What do you feel like are the biggest misconceptions in how they perceive? Um, uh, health and wellness for their children. And, you know, maybe talk about raising a family. Okay. The biggest misconceptions about health are that it's hard to be healthy. They don't, when, when uh, you know, it takes, however long it takes to drive through the drive through at McDonald's, you can pop some broccoli into the microwave and give your kid much more nutrition than, than the stuff from McDonald's. You can do with, with some planning ahead because nutrition is a favorite topic of mine. I love eating. 
And I love cooking. <laughs> I do. I do. F- food. Food is my thing. I do right? too. I do too. Yeah. That. Yeah. It's our. It's our jam. It's our jam. It's our jam. <laughs> so you know what I used to do on Sundays was I'd I'd bring my kids when they were older and we'd sit down and we'd cook three or four different meals, freeze them, and during the week we would defrost them, talk while we were defrosting the food, bond with each other and connect, and then we'd have healthy food. And yeah. Every once in a while, we we went out and ate. But you know, my kids don't eat McDonald's because they look at it and they say it isn't healthy. So I set the example for them. And I gave them the tools. Both my kids cook. They call me up sometimes for recipes. I don't remember. How do how did you make that? Or how did you make that? Mm-hmm. And that was just small <laughs> things that I did consistently over time. Exercise. You know, and you don't have to go... Ideally, you know, an hour five times a week is great, but most people don't have the time to do that. How about when you bring your child home from from preschool, you walk with them. You take a 15, 20-minute walk and just focus on that. That's exercise. When you do housework Mm -hmm. with them, make it fun. You know, make the the laundry basket uh, into a basketball and see how far you can throw the laundry. You know, mopping the floor, like dancing with the mop or pretend the mop is a microphone and sing silly songs and do it together. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. getting out in nature, find a tree and look at the, just look at the tree. I mean, even if you live in a concrete jungle, which most of us do, find a little green space, plant some seeds, sprout some seeds, you know, talk to your kids about, you know, how sprouted greens and these sprouted beans are really good for you. Teach them to throw them in a salad. You've taught them. You've spent time with them. Um, you know, screen time. Tell the kids they can get an hour of screen time a day, and then they have to earn the other hour because two hours is the maximum even older children should spend on screens. You know, come up with mm. ideas. Involve the kids in their discipline. You know, ki- yeah. people think that discipline is so hard, but it's not once you have the tools. It's small, repetitive actions over time. So... And a lot of people honestly don't know what a healthy diet is. A healthy diet is just lots of fruits and vegetables, healthy fat, probiotic, you know, fermented foods, whole grains, and healthy proteins. And, you know, you just get a list and you put it, put it together and you and your kids decide what you want to eat that week. So to mm-hmm. me, the misconception yeah. is that being healthy is a lot of work and it's not. And another misconception yeah. is there is a pill for every ill. And unfortunately, there's not. I mean, I wish I, yeah. I, I wish there were. And it's 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 so much. Well, better. even yeah. not even not even not even wishing wishing. Um, you know, it, it. I mean, what we want to do is be able to just focus on not going towards that yeah. unless it's absolutely necessary. Right. You know, you talk to your pediatrician or your provider and, um, you know, and it's really a last resort. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be yes. able to do all the Perfect. conservative stuff that's first, exactly. you know, the preventative stuff first. But they need to yeah. know what it is. And that's my mission is to empower parents. I want parents to know you're not helpless. You have much more power than you think. Definitely, and it's definitely. much easier than you think. And you can do it. You can do it. I, uh, I love this, Linda. Um, so we're going to close out. I love, um, I love hearing about my guests uh, thrive. And I'm very curious on what makes an individual thrive. And for you, you know, you seem to have a very, very colorful, colorful, you know, life uh, <laughs> of experiences, both personally and professionally. So how does, how does Dr. 
Linda um, thrive herself. And um, after that, I would love for you to talk about three tips that you can give for parents um, in terms of what they can do in terms of bettering their own health as, as parents. You know, we talked a lot about kids. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about families. But what can parents do um, in terms of, you know, improving their own health? I'm going to start with that because I actually just gave a lecture at the German University to a group of social workers about self-care. Mm. And um, they were trying to apply it to their patients and clients. And I said, no, 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 no. This is about you, I said, because burnout happens when you don't take care of yourself. And um, I'm going to give a tip in the physical world. A very easy tip is incorporate more vegetables into your life. Pop them in the microwave. doesn't have to be complicated. Drink, uh, drink water and eat fermented foods. And as you eat mm. them, eat them and really appreciate their taste. Don't just gobble them down because you're, you're really busy. Notice it and actually thank yourself for taking the time for taking care of yourself. I like yeah, that. Yeah, learn how to deal with your emotions. Do something with your emotions. Don't just stuff them because that's what we're taught to do, isn't it? You're not supposed to be angry. You're not supposed to be frustrated. Unfortunately, life as it is, we get angry. We get frustrated. What can you do with it? You know what I do with it? I dance it out. I stomp it out. Every once in a while, I'll throw <laughs> myself on the bed and I'll have a temper tantrum. Of course, <laughs> it feels good. Why not? I mean, yeah. like there's there's always a child within within all of yeah. us still still to this day yes. that wants attention or cry. There's nothing wrong with having negative emotions. They're just your indicator that you're not where you want to be. And it's our right to have mm. them. And if you feel them and let them go, they're not going to accumulate in your body and cause you to become yeah. unhealthy. And in terms yeah. of mental health and spiritual health, Become aware of what you're saying to yourself. Whenever you feel bad, take a moment just to say, what, is, what am I saying to myself? Am I saying, here you go again. Your life is bad. This bad stuff always happened to you. You always do things wrong. And if you notice that you're doing that, why don't you try talking to yourself like you would to your best friend or like you would to your little tiny baby before they got to be a toddler and they got really irritating and annoying, you know, <laughs> right? What would you say to your best friend? Would you ever say to your best friend, I can't believe you did that again. How stupid can you be? Or would you say, you know, we all make mistakes. I'm going to throw uh, a thing I got from the Abraham Hicks people. Everything is always working out for me. And keep a gratitude journal. Every day before you go to bed, write down three things that you're grateful for. And some days you're going to have to really dig deep and it might be that, when I flip the switch, the electricity comes on. And that's all right. It, because mm. what you focus on will increase. So as, as human beings, we're hardwired to look for problems. Because for millennia, yes. Yes. we had saber-toothed tigers running after us. And so we're hardwired mm-hmm. to look for trouble. What we need to do now, since life is a lot safer, is to start looking for the positive in things. And so when you write down three things you're grateful for every day, your brain gets wired to start looking for things you're going to write down in your gratitude journal that night. And within 30 days, mm. things will start getting a lot better. Mm. So I love those it. Those are the I love tips it. I give for parents. And how Dr. Linda thrives, I love to ballroom dance. <laughs> and the waltz is the best because you know what? When I ballroom dance, I can't think. I either dance or I think. Yes. And so the ballroom yes. dancing, I just get in with the rhythm of the music and I dance to the music. And I write. 
I actually truly enjoy writing things that I imagine moms and dads reading and going, yes, I can do this. This will make things a little bit better. Or even if they don't believe it'll make things a little bit better, saying, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'm going to suspend my disbelief for a moment and try writing in that gratitude journal and see if it Mm. works. Try changing the way I do things because anything is possible. 100% is possible. 100% of the time, if you become aware of it and you let yourself be aware of it. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, thank you for, uh, coming on and sharing your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and, you know, just really you, I, you know, sometimes, you know, when you go through life, um, you know, I believe that everyone has a certain energy that they put through and, um, sometimes it's a little bit, uh, hidden um, and it just needs some sort of uh, opportunity or maybe permission for it to come out. And, you know, for you, yours is very, very loud and clear. And, um, you know, you generally um, really, really want to, you know, elevate the health of not just parents and families, but their kids, but just, you know, on a, on a broader scale, you know, um, uh, as a planet, you know, yes. because, you know, we were, we're all, we were all born at one point, we were all a child at one point. And, you know, even though we spend a lot of our years in the, the adult, you know, world, it's, you know, we need reminders, you know, yes. and, um, you know, this is, you know, this has been great. So, um, for people that want to look you up, um, how can they uh, look you up and how do they reach out? How do they find you? My website is askdrlinda.com. I had a blog that I wrote in for two years. Um, I kind of put that by the wayside as I wrote my, my two books. I wrote a book called The Super Dad Formula that's available on Kindle. Mm. It's for dads mm. for the first three months. Just foundational practices that dads, and if moms read it, they'll get a lot out of it too, um, to start mm-hmm. their parenting journey out on the right foot. And hopefully mm. pretty soon my book, Treating Anxiety Naturally and Kids, will be out. I'm trying to think of a, a catchier title. So if anybody has any ideas, I'd love to hear them. <laughs> and that uh, I, I'm going to self-publish that on Kindle, too. And I've got a Facebook, Ask Dr. Linda. And that's where – and I also have a new page that I put up, New Dads, New Moms. I'd love to hear from parents to see what they want to hear about because Definitely. I get confused sometimes. I know so much. But – I love what you said about playing. I forgot to mention that. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's a question I actually wrote in my uh, lecture about uh, self-care for the social workers. When's the last time you played as an adult? Yeah. Just allowed yourself to let loose and play. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, Guys, this has been another episode of Thrive Bites. Uh, You can catch us weekly here. Um, thank you, Dr. Linda, um, for coming on and, uh, thank you everyone for listening and, uh, you know, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Colin. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you liked that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.